Welcome to the Bermagui Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. Here you'll find the recording of messages from our weekly gatherings. We pray you'll be challenged and encouraged by today's message. To open up, I want to ask a question or lead, lead with a question. Um, I guess it's rhetorical, something to, to just get the, the brain juices flowing. And it's one of these ones that, you know, gets asked quite regularly, you know, on, I've seen it on social media a lot and things like that a lot. But if you had a moment, you know, say 15 minutes to sit down with your younger self, what would you tell them? What would be the important parts that you would really try to make sure they understand? What things would you make sure that they really leave with after that time with your experienced older self? And as I said, these sorts of things float past on social media quite regularly. They're sort of just one of the you know, sort of lighthearted, fun sort of things that people sort of put out there. And people are pretty quick to sort of throw out, you know, just typical sort of things. Oh, make sure you invest here or you know, invest your money better in this way or invest your time better this way. Or, you know, avoid these relationships or avoid these situations. Um, you know? Even things like, you know, take more risks or, you know, you know, go see more or challenge yourself more. But I don't know about you, but sometimes when I've had those questions asked, when you sort of actually allow, allow yourself to really ponder on that, you know, well, if I had that chance, if I truly had that chance to go back, you know, 20, 30 years, 40 years, whatever, okay, come on to your younger self and, and fill them in on what you feel would be most important, most vital. And the more I sort of pondered on this, it sort of made me sort of think, well, you know, I think it would take a good 15 minute slot. It wouldn't just, you know, if it was just a passing word, would it really have the impact it needs? Because the fact is, I don't know about you, but when I ask myself those questions and just sort of reflect on my past and my journey, I've probably had people saying a lot of those things anyway. I've had wise parents, I've had wise grandparents and uncles speaking into my life. I've had good teachers. I've had coaches. Um, you know, even just wise friends give me advice over the years. And they're probably the same things I would tell myself if I could. But at that time, for whatever reason, I ignored it. I, list, I didn't listen to it. I didn't follow it. So the question is, would we actually listen? Even if we sort of had this wow moment of like, oh, wow, this is me, you know, 40 years in the future, sharing some information with me, that might make us pay attention a little bit, but would we really listen? And what would we really want to say? What would we really try to, no, come on, you've got to get this. You've got to make sure you get this right. And what would that message be? How, how would we... Not just what would we say, but how would we say it? What would, you know, how much passion and emphasis and, and drive would we put behind that message to make sure our younger selves got the, got the message clearly? I wonder if that's how John and Peter felt when they were writing some of these letters. You know, in and around Anzac Day and Mother's Day, I've been doing a, a series of an interview with John, an interview of St. John and going through the first letter of John. And I didn't want it to, to be just this deep exposition of the, of the book. I just wanted to sort of go, well, you know, if we had John here, 
if we could interview him and, and had a moment with him, what would he want to say? What would be those important points that he would say, no, I want to make sure you get this. And when I read 1 John, that's, that's the sort of emphasis and feel I, am, I almost get from it. I've been putting the challenge out there. I don't know who, you know, I won't ask for hands, but, you know, if you've spent some time and sat down and just read it through as a whole letter, I think you pick that up. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't dilly-dally. He sort of just gets into it and just says, no, make sure this happens. Make sure you do this. Make sure you do this. It's like he knows he's got limited time and limited moment to share these points. And it's the same with the letters from Peter as well. Both of the, 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 the letters from John and the letters from Peter, we, scholars do believe that they were written while they were in their, their elderly years, in the last years of their, their ministry life and time. And I, I just wonder if they had that moment where they just went, oh, I don't know how long I've got. I just want to make sure my children, you know, these, these, these people that God's put into my care, what's these final things I want to make sure that they understand? If there's anything I can leave behind, what is it? What can I say? What can I write down? You know, as I've said, in the, in, in, in the, in the first century church world, to, to have a, a written document was pr- a pretty big deal. It was, it was actually quite expensive to get paper and to, to, to find a scribe to write things down for you. And so it wasn't just, you know, oh, hey, how are you? I hope you're going well. Pass on the letter. No, it was, no, if I'm going to write something down and send this out to people, I've got to make sure it says everything I need it to say. So if John was here, I do just, I reckon he would just be going, no, come on, make sure you understand. Make sure you get it. You know, in, in, in my sort of just, as I said, I've been reading over myself, just sort of just to really sort of try and get a grasp on, on who John is and what he's wanting to say. And he just never seems to drop that intensity. He just jumps from point to point and back again. He actually repeats himself a number of times throughout the letter. You know, he, he repeats over and over, you know, this one line he repeats four times, love one another. And throughout it, he's talking about, make sure we actually do love each other. That we do actually act on what Jesus told us. You know, this, 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 this rule that's been there since the beginning, but we, it's, it's new and fresh in the life of Jesus Christ. Make sure we love one another. Yeah, there's two warnings which we're going to have a quick look at in a second about wrong teachings and, 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 and wrong spirit, the, the, the spirit of Antichrist, things that are actually against Christ. And he says, you know, to make sure that we, we don't get distracted by those messages, you know, listen to the Holy Spirit. Follow the, the truth that the Holy Spirit lays in our hearts by keeping our eyes on Jesus. Yeah, four times I read in there that he, he reminded them that they, they, they are children of God. He reminded them of, of what was actually given in salvation through Jesus Christ. That we are now, we're, we're not just servants, we're not just underlings in this, in this kingdom with, 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 with God the dictator. No, we are children. We are heirs to the throne alongside Christ. There's intimacy there. There's there's recognition there. There's there's a, a position of, of of abundance and life and and privilege. When you think of that, that you're you know we are children of the King. And he's saying these things because you know things aren't always going their way. He's writing to churches that were under persecution. He's writing to churches that were, when things weren't going great. He's saying, but just remember, 
Just remember, you are children of God. Things may not be going so great at the moment, but just remember what's in store. Remember what's coming up. And to get his point across throughout the letter and throughout these points he makes, he uses real stark contrasts. He speaks about light and darkness. He speaks about righteousness and sinfulness. He speaks about life and death. To show this distinction of, you know, no, this is how we know we're in Christ. And this is how we can know that if people are falling away from Christ or not with Christ. And he just wants to paint a real clear picture. So I'll say, no, let's not lose track. Let's not get caught up in the noise. Let's make sure we're doing what God has called us to do. So there's three main themes. This is a point I highlighted when, I, when we started this off in his letter. So the first one is that he, he speaks about what it does look like to live a righteous life against a life of sinfulness. He speaks a lot about this brotherly love that we do need to be around each other and to love one another. And it's got to start here. If we can't do it here, if we can't do it in the church, how on earth are we going to do it to the rest of the world around us? And the third thing that he focuses on is actually Christology, correct perspective and understanding of who Christ is. And I think I highlighted those first two points fairly well in the first two sections that I did. You know, I started off talking about how John, you know, opened with the idea that, no, I was an eyewitness of the life of Jesus Christ. I saw what righteousness is. So make sure we live like that. And and I drew out some of the distinctions of what it looks like to live a righteous life compared to a life of sinfulness or brokenness. And two weeks ago, I, I spoke about how You know, this commandment to love one another has been with us since the dawn of humanity, really. You know, in the Garden of Eden, what was broken? It was, was, you know, love of God. You know, Satan caused Adam and Eve to to question whether God truly loved them, whether he'd actually given them everything, or was he holding something back from them? Cain and Abel, the second great sin. You know, what was lost there? Love Love for one another. And throughout this journey of scripture, we see this this message over and over and over again of God just sort of saying, come on, if we can get this right, we're all good. If we can love God and love one another, everything else falls into place. And both these points really tie into what I guess I want to wrap up with today, which is to, to understand that love, to understand what it means to live righteously. We've got the greatest example in all of history, the person and the life and the ministry of Jesus Christ and all that he is. Not only all that he was and and the way he lived here in, in in physical form on earth, but all that that meant and all that, all that that pointed to that we is explained through the, the new Testament of who Jesus is. And that's why I got the the reading out of Colossians there. Because it's just such a a brilliant little breakdown there. So if you are taking notes or just want to go back for further study, go back to that first chapter of Colossians. There's this this statement there of who Jesus is that is just so complete and so pointed. That he's all. He is our whole. 
all that we need, all that we ever would require, all that we ever would desire is found in Jesus Christ. And the fact is our, our Christology, you're going to hear me use that term a little bit today. And when I say that, it is just you know, our understanding, our perspective of who Jesus Christ is. When we get that right, it truly is like a foundation. You talk to any builder, you've got to get those foundations right. If the foundations aren't good, the rest of it can be called into question. The rest of it can be faulty. The rest of it can collapse. We've got to have that foundation of who Jesus Christ is, firmly planted, firmly seated in in our understanding and in who we are, because that's what gives us the confidence. That's what gives us that hope that goes beyond anything else that this world can throw at us. And so John, throughout his letter, focuses on this, and he highlights and keeps coming back to, well, remember who Jesus is. And he opens his letter with that. I'm going to return to that. So in 1 John, the first verse, chapter 1, verse 1, he says, We proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, whom we have heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes and touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. So he opens his letter. So I'm saying, no, this is the person I'm talking about. I saw him. I touched him. I walked with him. I shared meals with him. You know, I saw his miracles. I heard his teaching. You know, I was there. And so that's what he bases his letter off. So I'm saying, this is the Jesus I know. This is how I saw him live life. This is how I saw him live righteously. This is how I saw him love each other and, and, and those around him. Let's follow that example. And he starts to sort of say, and anyone that starts to go, well, no, well, maybe Jesus didn't quite get it right. We need to make sure we do it this way. Don't listen to them. I was there with Jesus. He is the only way. He is the word of life. And what he highlights is that what we're given when we do surrender ourselves to this person, Jesus, when we do sort of say, Jesus, take my life. I give my life to you. When we take that step, when we initiate that relationship with him, we are given the Holy Spirit. In 1 John, so all my references today are from John, so I'm just going to be jumping back and forth a bit today. This is chapter 3, verse 24. He says, those who obey God's commandments remain in fellowship with him and he with them. And we know he lives in us because the spirit he gave us lives in us. And this gift of the Holy Spirit is actually brought up 12 times in this short little letter, five chapters. And most of those are actually reminding us, no, the Holy Spirit was a gift. When you stepped into the light, when you stepped into a relationship with Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit was given to you as was promised in the scriptures. And it's not just a New Testament promise. It's promised throughout the Old Testament. Look at the Psalms. Look at Isaiah. It speaks about the promise of the Spirit of God being sown into our individual lives. Not just as a corporate thing, not just, you know, the Holy Spirit's in the church or anything like that. No, He's in us. So again, I was jumping over. Chapter, chapter 22, verse 20 says, 
but you are not like that, for the Holy One has given you His Spirit, and all of you know the truth. Chapter 4, verse 4 says, But you belong to God, my dear children. You have already won a victory over those people, because the Spirit who lives in you is greater than the Spirit that lives in the world. And same chapter, 4, 4 verse 13 says, But God has given us His Spirit as proof that we live in Him and He in us. So let's really go back to some basics on this. Yeah, we aren't just physical beings, correct? These physical bodies, great, while we're here in the physical world, but we're more than that. We are spiritual beings, eternal beings. And we have a spirit within us. And because of sin, not only was physical death brought into the world and physical decay, but spiritual death was brought into the world. At that point of sin entering the world, when Adam and Eve broke covenant with God, there was a spiritual disconnection. There was a spiritual death that all of humanity suffers. And Scripture actually speaks about it like a separation. We are now separated from the Spirit of God. And so that's why this promise and what is fulfilled in the salvation through Jesus Christ is so powerful and so amazing because not only are we you know saved in the sense of eternal life living a life in the presence of God here and now in the physical world we have a member of the triune God the Holy Spirit a member of the Godhead living within us not just when we're doing things right. Not just when he feels like it. Not just when we're in church and singing some praise songs or, or praying. He's in us. It's a, it's a permanent placement of the Holy Spirit when we surrender ourselves over to Jesus Christ. Which is the direct opposite of spiritual death, isn't it? Yeah, sin came into the world, we were separated spiritually. When we accept Jesus Christ as our Saviour, we have the Spirit of God within us, alongside with our spirit. A retired pastor in the room that I spent some time with, he speaks about it in such a way, he goes, you know, you know don't, don't just think of it as, you know, the Holy Spirit, well, he's here and, you know, my heart's here and my brain's here. No, the Holy Spirit and the Spirit of God is in us, in every cell of our body. He's consumed us. He's, he's within us. And he's a constant companion. He's a constant counsellor. It's an intimate connection and relationship with God himself. Now, what a promise. And let's never forget it. Let's never lose sight of that. And that's, that's one of the main things John was highlighting in this. I say, no, remember. Remember what was given through coming to Jesus Christ. You've been given the Holy Spirit. So with that point in mind, that's where John starts to address some of these wrong teachings that started to come in. 
And I just want to read over these because they're they're sort of slotted in there. There's two of them and they're, they're fairly identical. I want to read both because they sort of just bring out some, some unique things. But this is a, a lot of the reason why we have the letters of the New Testament. There was issues in the church. There was wrong teaching starting to rise up in the church. And so the, the apostles were sort of saying, no, come on, let's make sure we get on track. Let's make sure we're actually getting the foundations right so this church can flourish. So the first sort of correction that he brings is, is in chapter 2, verses 18 to 23. So chapter 2, 18 to 23. He says, Dear children, the last hour is here. You have heard that the Antichrist is coming, and already, and already many such Antichrists have appeared. From this we know that the last hour has come. These people left our churches, but they never really belonged with us. Otherwise, they would have stayed with us. When they left, it proved that they did not belong with us. But you are not like that, for the Holy One has given you His Spirit, and all of you know the truth. So I'm writing to you, not because you didn't know the truth, but because you know the difference between truth and lies, and who is a liar. And anyone who says that Jesus is not the Christ, anyone who denies the Father and the Son, is an antichrist. Anyone who denies the Son doesn't have the Father either, but anyone who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. So just some quick points I want to highlight out of that. In that section where it's talking about the Antichrist, it's not talking about what we, I guess, understand if you've done any sort of study in, into um, end times and things like that. It's not talking about this, this Antichrist figure that the book of Daniel and the book of Revelation speak about. It's talking about a, a spirit and a teaching that is Antichrist, that is going against what Christ is. And that's why it's sort of saying, you know, like these, these antichrists are already present. They've been in your, in your community and they've left. But he's correcting it because obviously they were part of the community. It wasn't just one, it was many, few. We don't know exact numbers, but to have a, a number of them in there would be causing influence, causing division. He's sort of saying, no, 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 no. They're trying to pull you away. Make sure you keep your eyes set on what is truth. So he doesn't really go into the specifics of what their argument was. But his point of argument to bring people back on track. You know, verse 22, you know, and who is a liar? Anyone who says that Jesus is not the Christ. Anyone who denies that the Father and the Son is an antichrist. And so his, his counter argument to, to whatever they were saying was sort of saying, no, Jesus is the Christ. We cannot deny that. And this is John, John the Apostle. So I'm saying, I walked with him. I talked with him. I was with him for his ministry. He is the Christ. Everything that the Old Testament points to of who this Christ figure is, this saviour of not only Israel, but of all the world. You know, the promised blessing through the line of Abraham. All these things that the Old Testament points to of who Christ is. Because Christ wasn't Jesus Christ's last name. Just, just a quick little tidbit there. It wasn't just his surname. There was a title saying Jesus the Christ. And the Christ was the Messiah, the Savior of humanity. And so John's sort of saying, anyone that says anything in the line of sort of saying, well, no, maybe Jesus was just a great teacher. Maybe Jesus was just a, you know, another prophet. No. <laughs> he is the Christ. And if he isn't, 
he's just another wise dead man. There's no sort of in-between. There's no sort of, well, well, he sort of was. And the problem was, in this era of the church, even in this first sort of generation, century of the church, there was already wrong teachings coming in, people sort of questioning it, and sort of saying, oh, well, you know, was he really God? Was he really human? They called into question a lot of things. And that's what the next one sort of highlights. So let me just read that one. So that one was in chapter 2, the next little section. So it sort of harps on it twice. It's a bit unclear whether it's, just, it's the same problem and he's just wanting to make sure you get it or if it was just a slightly different situation. We don't know. But it's chapter 4, verses 1 to 4. He says, Dear friends, do not believe everyone who claims to speak by the Spirit. You must test them to see if the Spirit they have comes from God. For there are many false prophets in our world. And this is how we know if they have the Spirit of God. If a person claiming to a prophet acknowledges Jesus Christ came in a real body, that person has the Spirit of God. But if someone claims to be a prophet and does not acknowledge the truth about Jesus, that person is not from God. Such a person has the Spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard is coming into the world and indeed is already here. But you belong to God, my dear children. You have already won a victory over those people. Because the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit that lives in the world. Now he opens that little section with a, a quite a powerful warning. Make sure you test their spirit. You know, anyone could sort of say, well, you know, this is what God's been telling me. Thus saith the Lord. And in church, you know, there's an awareness of going, well, no. God is intimate. God is personal. God does speak to us. I 100% believe that. I believe God does speak personally and individually. There's some factions of church that go, well, no, God's done with that. He's given us the Holy Scriptures. That's all we need. No, God's more intimate than that. God's bigger than that. I do believe he does speak to us. But because we've got the Holy Spirit within us, we can test that spirit. We can go, oh, it does actually line up with the character of God, the, the person of God, the word of God. And those of you that know me, been in this church a while now, you know, I, was, I was born and raised Pentecostal, Pentecostal church. And so within the Pentecostal uh, realm of church, you know, there's elements of it that they took that too far, where it was always, oh yeah, God told me this, God told me that. And I saw how damaging that was when the spirit wasn't tested. When people put out words and they're saying, this is from God, and it wasn't. It was from their own mind or it was from a wrong spirit a wrong perspective so we do need to test it and that's what John's sort of saying there you know, don't, don't just believe anyone who says yeah this is what you know, God's telling me no test their character test what they're actually saying does it actually align to what the foundations of who we are does it align with what Jesus would say with what Jesus would do And so this links back his argument again to, to these, these false prophets. He sort of says, well, this is how you test them. Sorry, I lost my points there. This is how you test them. Yeah? If they acknowledge that Jesus Christ came in a, phys- a real body, there's a big tick. And John's sort of saying, look, I was there. I saw the man. 
But already we've got a generation and, and people stepping up sort of saying, well, was he really there? Or was it just the Spirit of God? And this is where, again, if you've done any sort of Bible study, you start, you start to hear of these the, the wrong teachings. One of the, the, the bigger wrong teachings that started to come in quite early in there was, was what they call Gnosticism, where they started to call into question, you know, oh, do we really have all the truth of God? Or is there still just unknowns and mysteries out there that we haven't found yet? But the problem with that idea was it was, sort of, it was calling into question, well, you know, did Jesus actually give us everything we need? And was Jesus really actually there? Or was it just a, a vision apparition that, that, the, the, that the disciples have? So John's correcting that. So I said, no, come on. And that's why he opened with the line he said, I walked with the man. I talked with the man. He was real. I touched him. I saw him eat food. I saw him sleep. I saw him cry. I saw him laugh. I can imagine John up here. So I was saying, no, <laughs> I've been with him. I could tell you what he smelt like. <laughs> and so that's his, that's his benchmark. So I'm saying, no, if people start to go, well, yeah, well, was he really here? Or on the flip side, was he, was he just human? That was one of the other arguments that started to come in. No, he, was, was he just a, a good teacher? And that's what his first argument sort of said. No, Jesus is the Christ. He is the Son of God. So he calls them out. He says, no, if, if they're not going to actually be able to declare these things openly and clearly, then yeah, you've got to call them into question. So in both these sections, we see John coming back to some fundamentals. So say, no, remember who Jesus Christ is. And the other big ticket item that we have to make sure we do stay on the right track, that we do know what truth is, is that we've got the spirit of truth within us. Listen to him. Pay attention to him. Be, be open to the leading of the Holy Spirit who is within us. So to wrap this up, correct understanding of who and what Jesus is, is essential. It is our foundation. But it is still a faith step. We've got to take the word of the eyewitnesses. We've got to go, well, you know, we've got a letter here from John. So say, no, I was there. We weren't. We're 2,000 years on. But we can take faith in going, well, people were. And they eyewitnessed and they testify to it. And it's also a confirmation of, okay, well, what have I experienced? What do I know? of what Jesus has done in my life. And John actually wraps up with a similar sort of thing. So I was saying, pay attention to the, to the witnesses around you and to the witness of God himself. In the last chapter of the, the letter, chapter 5, this is 6 to 12. I know I'm reading lots of portions today, but it was just a good way to wrap it up. He says this, And Jesus Christ was revealed as God's son by his baptism in water and by shedding of his blood on the cross. And not by water only, but by water and blood. He's actually referencing what happened to Jesus when they pierced his side. When they pierced his side, you know, blood and water flowed. Sign of physical death. 
And the Spirit who is truth confirms it with his testimony. So we have these three witnesses, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And all three agree. So since we believe human testimony, surely we can believe the greater testimony that comes from God. And God has testified about his Son. All who believe in the Son of God know in their hearts that this testimony is true. Those who don't believe this are actually calling God a liar because they don't believe what God has testified about his son. So he speaks about, you know, when Jesus was baptized, they audibly heard the voice of God say, this is my beloved son. So at his baptism, you know, baptism by water, he was, he was a witness and a testimony from the father saying, this is my son. Jesus himself testified to it. Particularly when you read the, the, the Gospel of John, he, he, he majored on these ones, where Jesus said over and over and over again, me and the Father are one. And we also have the testimony of the Spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit within us that just tells us, no, this is right. This is truth. And the fact is, I don't know about you, like I've, I've been blessed to be able to be raised in the church and be part of the church my whole life, really. And I feel that I've got a good relationship with God, a good relationship with the Holy Spirit. And there's, there's moments, you know, things, you know, you listen to people online or you, you hear, hear people sort of say things and you just go, oh, no, not quite. You just get that check in your spirit. And it is something you need to exercise and develop and, and, and you learn to pay attention to it. And it's different for different people. Some people feel it physically. They almost go, oh, no, that just, just doesn't feel right. Or it is just that, that, that something in the spirit, something within you just goes, yeah, take a double check on that one. Go back to words, see what that says. Check in with others around you. That's why we've got each other as the church, to, to confirm and check that we are actually following the spirit of God. So if John was here, what would his last words be to us? And personally, I think the end of the letter actually <laughs> covers it brilliantly. The last two verses, so chapter 5, verses 20 and 21. And we know that the Son of God has come, and he has given us understanding so that we can know the true God. And now we live in fellowship with the true God because we live in fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the only true God, and he is eternal life. Dear children, and just imagine him being the, this, this elderly gentleman, knowing he's probably coming towards the end of his life. So I say, come on, I've been looking after you guys. You, you, you're, you're like children to me. Dear children, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your hearts. And I just love that. In absolute simplicity, he says, you know, if there's anything, anything, it starts to take place where Jesus should be in your life and get rid of it. Jesus is our foundation. Jesus is our core. The Holy Spirit is within us. Let's not let anything dilute that. Let's not let, let anything in that's going to distract us from that. Amen? Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you for today. I thank you for this word and I thank you for this opportunity just to spend some time in, in this letter from John, Lord God. And 
Even though we, we couldn't physically have him here sharing, Lord God, I pray that through your word and through his letter, Lord God, that we can just see what it was like to, to, to be in your presence physically, to walk with you, to talk with you. And from that, Lord God, I pray, Lord God, that we can just be ever more confident, Lord God, in who we are as your people, as your children. And Lord God, as we go into our weeks, as we go into to, to whatever it is we do, Lord God, that we can be carriers of that same spirit, that spirit of truth, that just pushes us and, and draws us, Lord God, to love. To love and to live life in such a way that we're just a light to a dark world. Lord, I thank you for everyone here and we thank you for what you've brought today in, in this word. Amen. Amen. Just going to invite Susan up. We're going to just come around one more song to finish up. I'll be happy to take up tithes and offerings as we do this. So this is just a, what do we call it? A medley of 